Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. All right, so last week, everybody have their communion cups? Who's got their communion cups? All right, just hold on to them. We're, we're going to take communion at the end of service today, just as a way we're going to declare God's uh, goodness, God's authority, God's healing, God's forgiveness. We're going to do all that at the end of service today. And if you came here today with any kind of sickness, we're going to pray for complete and total healing and that God will restore everything in your body, everything in your life. All right, so last week we, we started a, a message, and I kind of want to pick up on it again today. We called it Working with God. And our main text was 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, that Paul says that we then are workers together with God. We then are workers together with God. And that God in His ability, God in His sovereignty, He literally can do anything He wants to do without us. But that God in His love and His goodness and His desire to, to have a relationship with us chooses to partner with us. And He chooses to use us and, and invite us into this relationship where we can actually work with Him to bring His will to come to pass. So a lot of times we think, you know, that we're just here to do church. Jesus did not go through everything that He went through. He didn't suffer and die. He didn't, he didn't give up his, his ability as God and lay it aside and come to the earth as a man just so we could do church. He came with a purpose. He came with a mission. He came to restore what God intended to do on the earth initially and give that back to us. And so in that, we have this thing of, of partnership with God, a divine partnership, co-laboring, co-working, all those type of words mean working together. Well, there's uh, last week we talked a little bit more about uh, the relationship side of it. This week we want to go a little different direction. And when we're, when you, who here has ever applied for a job? <laughs> it's been a while for me. I've had the same job for almost 30 years, but uh, I have applied for jobs in the past. When you apply for a job or if you read, if you go online and you're looking for a job, what is one of the things that as you read down through the job, it tells you what it is? What is it? A job description tells you about the job, and then it says, what are your qualifications? What's your qualifications? Do you qualify to do the job that we're hiring to do? Well, a lot of times when we, when we look at this thing of co-laboring with God, and you think, well, my partner is God, man, I don't stack up. Or that maybe partnering with God is left for the evangelist. Or maybe it's for the prophet or the apostle or the pastor. Maybe it's for the teacher. Maybe it's for somebody that's been saved for 30, 40, or 50 years. Maybe it's somebody that's, uh, that spends their time in worship and prayer. All those things are important. I don't want to discount any of that. But I want you to know that the Apostle Paul tells us that you have been qualified. See, you might go through life and, and you may have come out of a relationship with maybe a significant other, maybe a spouse, and maybe in that relationship they told you you don't measure up. Or maybe they told you you were no good. Or maybe you, you grew up as a child. Maybe your parents told you you'll never amount to anything. That you're worthless. That you've got no skill sets. Maybe it was a coworker, maybe it was a boss. And those things have been planted in your mind, and they've created some, some really bad thought patterns. But I want to tell you today that when God qualifies you, it doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. You might think, maybe I've disqualified myself. Maybe I no longer qualify. Well, your qualification was never based on what you did. It was based on what Jesus did. So if you didn't qualify yourself, you can't unqualify yourself. So let's go. To, I want to look at two verses in Colossians chapter 1. This is a part of a prayer that Paul writes to the Colossian church. Uh, let's go. Uh, next slide, guys. 
We're going to look at verses 13 and 14 to start out with because I really want you to be firm in this. A lot of times when we go in to do ministry, remember, we're, we're not, I said we're not coming here just to do church on Sunday morning. We're to go out. We're to do, we're work, working with the Lord. It doesn't really take place here. It does sometimes, but six days a week we're not here. So I want you to be thinking about this as you're at work, as you're at home, uh, as you're at the supermarket, wherever it is, and you're like, Lord, I'm here to partner with you. So Paul says in this verse, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has what? Qualified. It doesn't say that he's going to qualify. It says that he has qualified us. So it's past tense. When you accept Jesus, you are qualified based on what he did. It says, has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So when Jesus qualifies you, let's look at the next, next slide. I want to just talk about what the word qualified. The word qualified means to make sufficient, to render or make one fit. So you might think, I don't have enough to give. God made you sufficient. He qualified you. To enable, to equip one with adequate power to perform the duties of one. So God has enabled you. God has equipped you. God has empowered you for what he's called you to do, to make eligible or worthy. That word means all of those things. And, and what God says, he says, I've qualified you to be a partaker of an inheritance. I've qualified you. I've equipped you. I, I've, I've empowered you. I've enabled you. I've made you worthy. You're eligible to be a partaker. That means to have, be one that has a share in something. Who likes the sound of the word inheritance? Right? <laughs> yeah. Everybody wants an inheritance. Right? Inheritance typically replies some sort of relationship that somebody has to die in order for you to get an inheritance. Let me tell you, Jesus has already died and he rose again. You've got to be related to the person. If you know Jesus, you're no longer a slave but a son. You have a relationship with the Father. See, you can have an inheritance all day long. Your great uncle may have left you an inheritance. You may be related to him. You may be in the will. There could be $10 million in the bank. But if you don't know about it, what good does it do? See, God has qualified you for an inheritance, for you to be a partaker of this inheritance. But there's somebody out there that does not want you to get your inheritance. Who do you think that is? The devil, the enemy, Satan. Satan does not want you to have what God has provided for you. If he can't keep you from having a relationship with Jesus, if he can't keep you from being saved, then he wants to keep you from your inheritance. He wants to keep you from being effective. He wants to keep you from working with God to bring other people into the kingdom. So Satan's out there working against you. God says, I've qualified you to be a partaker, but you have an enemy. Next slide. God's qualified you. You're not unqualified. You're not underqualified. And you're not disqualified. So I want you to put all those thoughts out of your head. Everybody say this. I am qualified. I'm qualified. You've got to know that. Because what the enemy will want to do, he'll want to bring up things people have said. He's going to want to remind you of what you used to do. He's going to want to remind you of what you're not doing right now. And he's going to try to talk you into your disqualification. You need to be solid that Jesus qualified you. The next verse, Colossians 1.14, says, He, speaking of God, has delivered us from the power. And that word power is not strength. That word power is authority. He's delivered us from the power or the authority of what? Darkness. Everybody say, darkness is bad. Darkness is bad. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us. Now that word conveyed means transferred. Some translations will say transferred or translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So what God's literally done, when you accept Jesus, He qualified you, and He moved you from one place of authority to another place of authority. 
He's moved you out of this realm where Satan has authority over you. And it says He's delivered you out of that and He's brought you out of one thing and brought you into something else. So think about this. Let me give me a volunteer here. Give me two volunteers real quick. All right, I'm going to pick two. I'm going to pick Pastor Jay and AJ. Jay and AJ. I like this. I'm going to give you a choice. Do you want to be the delivered person or do you want to be the Satan? Oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> All right, so, so here's Satan. Satan's got a hold on this guy right here. So he didn't do anything to deserve to be in that kingdom. He was born into it. He was born in there because when Adam sinned, Adam forfeited everything. And, and, and when Jay was born, he was born into the wrong kingdom. The kingdom of darkness. And in the kingdom of darkness, who has authority? Satan has authority. He has complete authority there. He got it from Adam. So under this, he's held here. So Jesus comes in and says, I'm qualifying you, Pastor Jay, and I'm delivering you out, and I'm going to deliver you into my kingdom. Bye-bye, Satan. All right, so in this kingdom, we don't have bondage. We have freedom. See, the, the one that's in charge here actually releases us into the authority that he has. This one wants to keep us down, wants to keep us in slavery, wants to keep us in bondage, and has complete control over our lives. So what happens is, when we get delivered over here, I'm giving you a picture of what happens in the spiritual realm. You can't see this. You're born here. When you're born again, you're delivered and you're transferred here. So what happens is a lot of times that people have been transferred spiritually, but mentally and physically they stay here. See, you've you got to realize that this happened the day you got saved. But too often your mind's stuck in the wrong kingdom. Your body's stuck in the wrong kingdom. See, what can happen is AJ can say whatever she wants to say to Jay. Say, AJ, jump up and down. You, okay. <laughs> This, this, this is perfect, because that's what, yeah, all right, that, that's, what, that's what most believers do, yeah, that's what most believers do, does she have any authority in this kingdom, no, does he have to jump when she jumps, or says jump, what if she yells really loud, and I said, I want you to jump, no, he doesn't have to, it, it, it would be like, if, now, this could probably happen today. If we had somebody walk in from North Korea, you guys ever hear of North Korea? And this guy from North Korea walks in in a military outfit. And he stands up here and he says in Korean, with a translator, he says, I now tell you to close this church down and go home. What are we going to do? Not on my watch. Why? Because the guy from Korea doesn't have authority in the United States. He, it doesn't matter. He can show you all the papers he wants. He can jump up and down. He can yell. He can scream. He can do whatever. But his authority in Korea doesn't transfer here. But too often we allow the enemy to, to tell us to do things and to influence us to do things when he's got no business doing it. See, it... it just because the enemy no longer has authority doesn't mean he's going to quit trying. See, it's no different than criminals. Just because we have police officers, does that stop crime? No. A criminal typically, and some of you can identify with this, typically... <laughs> can, I get a, can I get an amen? Yeah. A criminal typically doesn't stop until he gets arrested. And they don't stop it, right? That's an arrest. That's a warning. Come on. That's like a slap on the wrist. No. A, a criminal is not going to stop doing what he does just because somebody's in a position of authority. He's going to do what he does until somebody that has authority, that has a weapon, that has a badge, enforces the authority that's been vested in them. And then they're going to stop. The devil's the same way. He doesn't have the authority... But until somebody steps up and says, not today, you're not coming here, you have no business here, leave in Jesus' name, 
He's not going to stop. All right, so you've been qualified and you've been authorized. You've been delivered and you've been authorized to be a partaker of that inheritance. You got somebody out there that even though she's she or he, it, 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 it could be a demon spirit test. We'll call that, right? Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're a spirit test. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's the devil. It doesn't matter if it's one of his demons. They have no authority in your life at all. Doesn't mean they're going to quit trying. Okay, thanks. Jake, we jump for me? I like this. Let's give him a hand. Good job, guys. All right. Next slide. Here's something a lot of people, we talk about the will of God, right? God has a will. Everybody would agree with that. We know that Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we're going to look at this verse later, it says that, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect, all three adjectives, good, acceptable, and perfect, will of God. God's will, the Apostle Paul describes as good, which means it's beneficial. It, it's, it's good for you. There's, there's benefit from it. If God's will is good, what do we think the devil's will probably is? It's probably bad. And I've told you this before. If it's good, it's of God. If it's bad, it's of the devil. If God's will is acceptable, that means well-pleasing. Guess what the devil or Satan's will is? It's not pleasing to God. And God's will is perfect, which means it's entire. It's complete. There's nothing missing from it. When you submit to what the enemy's will is, it's incomplete. It's less than perfect. You're never going to fulfill all that God wants you to fulfill working in the wrong camp. So a lot of times people say, well, the devil has a will. Well, doesn't God's will always come to pass? If God's will always came to pass, then what would it matter what the devil thought? See, he's working against you. If he can get you to partner with him, he can get his influence in you and get you to do what he wants you to do. I want you to I want to read this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, this is mainly to pastors, so Pastor Jay, pay attention. Pastor Dave, no, I'm just kidding. No. So we can all learn from this. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy. Little instruction on being a leader, but there's a, uh, at the end of this chapter, there's something I want to just point out about the devil's will. This could really apply today, and, and this is one of the reasons why if, if somebody wants to argue with me, I don't get into arguments because God told me not to. So here's where it comes from. It says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Anybody ever had a stupid argument before, right? It says, I have nothing to do with them. Because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. To say, look, I've not called you to a position of teaching, of preaching, of leadership, so that you could debate people. I've called you to teach them for a particular purpose. I want them to learn God's Word, and we're going to let the Holy Spirit change them. Next verse. Next slide. It says, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance. Now, we talked about repentance last week. Does anybody remember what the word repent means? Okay, I heard somebody say, turn from. So that's, that's the effect of repentance. Repentance just means to change your mind. Change your way of thinking. Remember we talked about God's thoughts. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts and ways are higher than the heavens are above the earth. So, so repenting or changing our thoughts is literally when I exchange my thoughts for God's thoughts. His thought, say this. His thoughts are better than my thoughts. And when you exchange them, it, it's, a, it's an upgrade. I'll tell you that. Everybody wants an upgrade. So he says... Uh, grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do what? His will. The enemy, although he has no right to, is trying to impose his will on you. I mean, you need to be aware of that. And look how he does it. Just work backwards with me. So it says he, in order to do his will, you, you, we're going backwards, you had to have been taken what? Captive. And the way he takes me captive is he traps me. And, and the way he traps me is he distorts my senses. Now what's it mean to come to your senses? It means to start acting rational after a period of being irrational. Anybody ever act a little irrational before? Right? It's because your thinking wasn't right. And when your thinking's not right, 
you, you do things you shouldn't do. So, and, and what causes them to, to their senses to, to be tarnished or, or warped? It says because they uh, have no truth. So if I, if I work that backwards and, and say, God, I want to exchange my thoughts for your thoughts. I want to repent. I want to, every day I want to know, am I thinking the way your word wants me to think? Am I thinking in, in line with your Holy Spirit? I, I want to live a life of repentance. When, I, when I'm willing to do that, then it gives me knowledge of the truth. And we know truth produces what? Freedom, right? You'll know the truth. The truth does what? Sets you free. So when, I, when I'm open to repentance, it brings about a knowledge of truth. And when I start to get the truth of God's word in my life, all of a sudden I come to my senses one day and I'm like, oh, maybe I need to think differently. Maybe I need to act differently. I'm going to escape from the trap that he set for me and I'm no longer going to be in slavery to the enemy. See, he doesn't have a right to. He can't force you to come into slavery and bondage under him, but if you willingly come into agreement with him, that's when he's got you. And he starts right here. He starts right here. Starts in the mind. He has no. He he can't force you, but he gets you thinking the wrong way. And when you think the wrong way, you're going to act the wrong way. So the enemy, he's got a will. God's got a will, and the enemy's got a will. Our job as co-laborers with Christ is to bring God's will into play. It's to bring God's will to play on the earth, not, not the enemy's. Alright, next. Okay, the devil has no authority to impose his will on you. He's still going to cry. Alright, let's go to the next slide. How does he do that? First Peter says what? He says, be sober, be vigilant for your friend the devil. What's it say? The adversary. He, he's, he's your opponent. He's not working with you. Don't work with him. He's working against you. He's trying to cheat you out of your inheritance. He doesn't want you to have it. He says he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. See, he's looking for somebody that doesn't know who they are in Christ. He's looking for somebody that doesn't know that when he says jump, that they got to listen. If you know who you are in Christ and you know what your authority is, He's going to walk on by. Because he, he, he cannot devour you. He's not more powerful than Jesus. He's not more powerful than the name of Jesus. But it says you've got to do what? Resist. Right? You've got to resist Him. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit to God and do what to the devil? Resist. You have to actively resist. It says, Submit to God, resist to the devil, and He'll do what? He'll flee, right? So he's not going to hang around. When you start actively resisting him, he's going to go. See, here's what happens a lot of times, and I think more times than not, we do it unknowingly, more than cognitively. More times than not, we submit to the enemy and we resist God. James tells us to submit to God and resist the enemy. Well, here's the good news. And what, what's the enemy do when we resist him? He flees. What's God do when we resist him? He pursues. He comes after you. So even if you've walked in a period of time when you've resisted God, he's still pursuing you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. Once he's taken up residence in there, he may not like what you're doing. You might even be working against him. But he's not leaving. The devil leaves. So what happens is, is a lot of times we'll just unknowingly, we, we, we all of a sudden we start submitting to one thing because we think it's God's will. But because we don't know what God's will is, we're actually resisting God's will. And you didn't even know. So if, if I'm going to see God's will come to pass, I've got to really have a good understanding of what God's will is. How many have ever wondered, <laughs> what's God's will in this situation? Do, yeah, I don't want to be fighting against it. I want to be submitting to it. I want to be standing against the enemy, submitting to God. But I've got to know. Well, there's another aspect 
Uh, now we talked about, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we talked about proving the will of God and, and bringing irrefutable proof of what heaven looks like and bringing that to earth. Well, there's another aspect of the word prove, and I just kind of want to touch on that today just to give you an idea. So let's go to the next slide. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So let's go to the next slide. I want to show you what this word prove. Because I'll give, give you an idea. How, how do we do this? If I'm going to prove the will of God, this word in the Greek actually means to approve. It means to approve. So how do we approve God's will? Does that mean that God says, uh, hey, 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 Fred, I've got an idea. I want you to approve it. <laughs> now, now, God's never called me and asked my, hey, would, would you stamp this for me? I, it's something I really want to do. Now, he partners with us, and we can actually influence God. There's people that in, in the Bible that were called friends of God and actually changed God's mind. That, that Abraham did that. Moses did that. But this word prove means to thoroughly examine, to scrutinize, to recognize as genuine, to test something as to its authenticity, or to approve. I'll give you a little example to help you understand that. I know nobody watches TV anymore. I'm like the only person with cable, I think. My kids are like, cable? What's that? But did anybody ever watch Antiques Roadshow? All right. Oh, I actually have a millennial that's seen Antiques Roadshow. That's great. I didn't know there were any out there. All right, so on Antiques Roadshow, did you ever notice everybody has this nice story like, oh, my grandfather in World War II, he, his grandfather came from the old country, and, and his girlfriend inherited this painting. And they always have this nice story how they ended up with this painting. Uh, for once, I'd like somebody to say, I stole it from my neighbor. You know, but, you know just be real. You, you, everybody can't have the same story. I took it when he wasn't looking. That's how I got it. So what do you do? You, you find this painting in your attic, or your, your great aunt dies, and you find this painting in the attic, and, and, and it's got dust on it, and you're uncovering it, and, and at the bottom it says M-O-N-E-T. What's that? Monet. No, Monet. Monet. You're like, I found a Monet. Now, how much could a Monet be worth? A bunch. Millions. Could be a hundred million dollars. So what do you do? You take, I don't know any, I don't know if that, is it legit? Or did some kid just write M-O-N-E-T on it? You know, there's a lot of people that copy art. I take it to the antique roadshow, or I take it to somebody who is an expert in impressionistic art. They know Monet, they know Renoir, they know Manet, they know all the artists of that time. And, and he looks at it, and the guy that knows Monet, he knows the style of Monet, he knows the, 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 uh, the brush strokes of his, his, his uh, what's that thing called? Uh, uh. What do you make? A brush. Yeah, brush strokes come from a brush. <laughs> Boy, yeah, that was a real senior moment there. Right. Yeah. Where did brush strokes come from? A brush. Okay. I passed the test. Right, so he, he knows Monet's style. He knows the brush strokes. He knows the type of canvas that he works on. And this guy's stamp of approval is the difference between whether this painting's worth 10 bucks or 10 million. Right? He compares the unknown to the known. See, it's the same way in, in, with the will of God. When he says, I want you to prove, I want you to recognize as genuine, I want to prove you to, to, to test the authenticity of it. If I don't know if something's the will of God, I look at the brush strokes of the artist. I look at the brush strokes of Jesus. I look at the way Jesus acted and what He did in the Gospels. I compare what I don't know to what I do know. And when I compare what I don't know to what I do know, and the two agree, even though the picture's different. See, a lot of times we're looking... Remember last week we talked about the list? 
We're looking for the same picture. But when you uncover something new, that picture maybe didn't exist before. So I look at the style. I look at the, the brush stroke. I look at the canvas. And so when I, I run into something in my life that I don't know, is this Jesus? Is this the devil? I'm going to look at the brush strokes of Jesus. I'm going to know that if somebody's sick, I know that everybody that Jesus came in contact with that wanted healing left healed. Everybody that wanted delivered got deliverance. It was never a question of if God would deliver them. He did it. We know that everything Jesus did, he, he heard from his father and he saw his father do. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 1, let's go to the next slide. Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus is a perfect or exact replica of the Father. So that's what I say. A lot of things of the Father are hidden, but Jesus perfectly represented the Father. The Passion Translation says this. It says the Son is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, His mirror image. So I could look at the life of Jesus and I could see what Jesus did in a situation. Did he heal? Did he deliver? Did he save? Did he not pass condemnation? Whatever he did, that's God's will. Because he perfectly represented the Father. This translation said he was a mirror image. The exact representation. So that's one way. Another way is this. Uh, I just want to give you two, two ways. So one, look at Jesus in the Gospels. What did he do? We know that Peter said in Acts 10.38, he said, uh, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Did he heal some? Let me tell you, it said he healed all. So everybody that came to Jesus for healing left healed that wanted healing. Everybody that came for deliverance left with deliverance. See, sometimes when we see, how many have ever prayed for breakthrough and it didn't happen? <laughs> Every hand ought to be up. If you've prayed, you've probably prayed at some time and breakthrough didn't happen. All of us have had prayer failures. See, the challenge is, is when I pray for something that I know is God's will, and I don't get the breakthrough I prayed for, the challenge is, is that I begin to establish a theology based on what didn't happen instead of what God's word says. That, that's, that's a dangerous place to be. See, even the disciples, you can read the story in Mark chapter 9. We're not going to read it. But even the disciples, Jesus is coming down off the Mount of Transfiguration, and he sees some people talking. He's like, hey, hey boys, what's up? And they said, this guy says, he says, I brought my son to your disciples to cast this demon out of him, and they couldn't do it. It said that it causes him to foam at the mouth. He goes into convulsions. It throws him into the fire. It throws him into the water trying to kill him. And so this guy brings this little kid to the disciples and the disciples can't cast out the demon. The dad goes home with the same condition he left with. If the story stopped there, the disciples could create a theology about what didn't happen. Must not have been God's will, I guess. Because we prayed... The guy didn't get delivered. The kid went home. He still has the same condition. So I guess, I guess we could say that deliverance is not God's will. Fortunately, when Jesus comes, the Father says, hey, I went to your disciples. They couldn't do it. And Jesus says, bring the child here. And it says the kid started convulsing again. And I, I just kind of love Jesus because imagine this. Here's this kid, and he's, he's like foaming at the mouth. His demon's manifesting. And Jesus is just all cool. He goes, so how long has this been going on for? You know, I'd probably be like, oh. You've heard Jay talk about freaking out when he sees demons. You know, it, 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 it tends to make the hair stand on the back of your neck. But Jesus is all, how long has this been going on? Dad says, well, since he was a kid. He says, bring him here. And he says, he says deaf and dumb spirit, leave immediately. And it says he left immediately. The kid falls over dead. And Jesus picks him up. The whole point of this is the last, two, the last two verses in that passage says, later the disciples went to Jesus and said, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said, this kind comes out not except by prayer and fasting. The, the point I want to make here is not about the prayer and fasting, but that the disciples recognized 
what God's will was. They prayed for a breakthrough. It didn't happen. And when it didn't happen, they went back to Jesus later and said, hey, where did we miss it? They didn't lower their standard. They didn't bring their standard of ministry down to the level of their experience. Remember I talked to you before about we raised, we raised the bar up to the standard of Jesus, not bring the standard of Jesus down to the level of our experience. So you always have to go back to the standard. It's, uh, in Ephesians 4, it talks about the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, and teacher equipping the saints until we all come to the fullness of the measure of Christ. That Christ is the measuring stick. My experience is not your measuring stick. Pastor Jay's experience is not your measuring stick. Pastor David's experience is not your measuring stick. Jesus is. God's Word is. So, I want to know God's will. What do we look at? Jesus. Alright, second thing. We're going to close with this, then we're going to take communion. Alright, one more. Galatians chapter 3 talks about that Christ has redeemed us from what? I got it highlighted for you. Curse of the law. It says, and it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For the Bible says, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to say that they may receive the um, promise of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus died to redeem us, to purchase us from the curse, then why would I ever embrace anything that's part of the curse? If I've been purchased out of the curse, right, under the the old covenant, if I was obedient, what happened? I got blessed. If I was disobedient, what happened? I got cursed. So it says that Jesus not only took my sin upon Him, but He became a curse. He took everything that was part of the curse and He destroyed it. He paid for it. And He redeemed me out of that so that I no longer have to suffer anything that's a result of the curse. Now, does the enemy want me to participate in the curse? He does. He does not want me to have my inheritance. So what's part of the curse? I'm just going to read a couple things to you from Deuteronomy. This is is a very, very long chapter, but I want to read a few things to you. So if, if I know what's in the curse, Jesus bought me out of the curse, became a curse for me. If I look and see what 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 the symptoms of the curse are, I can stand against those things. Let's just read you a couple verses. Deuteronomy 28. Now this goes from chapter verse 15 all the way to 68. Anybody want to read all 53 verses? No, it's very tedious. So some of these things. Hey, I called you by accident. I'm preaching. Bye. Uh, Taylor Smith, she's called her by accident. All right. Yeah, I mean, let's put her on speakerphone. She might need to hear this here. Taylor uh, uh, works for me. Not my girlfriend. Don't get any ideas. I got one girlfriend sitting here in the front row. Married to her for 27 years. So, bear in mind when it says the Lord will strike you with something, this is under the old covenant based on your disobedience. Jesus became this for you. The Lord will strike you with consumption, with fever. What might you get a fever from today? Inflammation, severe burning, scorching. It says the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. Strike you with boils, tumors, scabs, the itch. Always wonder what the itch is. No comments, no comments. It says the itch from which you cannot be healed. This is an itch you can't get rid of. Herpes, David. I heard that. (laughs) Strike you with madness and blindness and confusion. 
You'll carry out much seed of the field, but gather little. Your kids will go into captivity. It means your kids will be in bondage. In hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything. Extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious prolonged sicknesses. Your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you shall fear day and night, and have no assurance of life. There's a lot of things in there, but everything that's part of the curse, sicknesses, diseases, diseases that hang on, we might call, we'd call them today terminal disease, afflictions of the skin, things that are internal, bondage to your enemy. Another one in there says you'll have a wife and your, your neighbor will sleep with her, infidelity. Your kids will be taken away into captivity. You're going to live a life of fear, of worry. You're going to have confusion and, and, and madness. All of those things are part of the curse. All of those things Jesus became. And He died. So that you didn't have to go through them. So when I say I want you to, to take your authority over the enemy, I want you to do it. I don't ever want you to stand and say, well, maybe God brought this sickness upon me to teach me a lesson. God will never bring something into your life to work against what Jesus paid for. Jesus paid for your sickness. It would be a divided house for God to send sickness upon you. See, we, we stand against sin. Everybody's, oh yeah, I'm against sin. But why wouldn't we stand against the curse, which is the result of sin? And all of its symptoms. So, if I'm, if I'm going to know, is it God's will? Is it the enemy's will? Two things I want you to take home today. Look at who in, in, in the Gospel. Look at Jesus. Were you guys paying attention? Alright, I'm going to ask you one more time. Two things. Look at who in the Gospel? Jesus, right? I'm going to look at the life of Jesus. How did He minister? What did He do? How did He interact with people? What did He say? And I'm also going to look at what no longer applies. I'm going to look at the curse. Not so I can, can dwell there, but so I can know what to stand against. Because if Jesus died for it, and He's empowered me, I don't have to listen when the enemy's over there saying, you're going to be sick. You're going to be broke. You're going to be separated from your spouse. You're going to have marital problems. No, 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 and no. Because you don't have any business telling me what Jesus has provided for me. He has an inheritance for me. He's got an inheritance for you. So today we're going to take communion. I just want to tie communion at the end here. And for this reason. Because the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. Come on up with me. <clears throat> Paul says when he's talking about communion in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, for as often as you, as you drink this cup and as often as you eat this bread, you proclaim, literally means to preach, the Lord's death until He comes. As often as you eat this bread and as often as you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So how long are we going to take communion for? Till when? Right. This is something, so if, you're, if you've never taken communion before, this is something that we do and we're going to do until Jesus comes back. It's something we do to remember. Jesus says, this do in remembrance of me. We're remembering what Jesus did for us. We're remembering that Jesus went to the cross. Remembering that on the cross, before he went to the cross, it says that he was scourged. That means that they took a whip, and this whip on the ends of it had leather on the end of it, and there were shards of glass, there was nails, 
there was metal, and they would not just whip him with it, but that whip would go back, and it, those pieces would dig into his flesh. And these Roman soldiers would rip it off, literally exposing all of his back. But see, when Jesus did that, he did that to take all those, all that punishment for all that curse. His body was broken, literally, so that yours could be whole. When he died on the cross, he sheds his blood. He did that so your sin could be paid for. So communion is something we do. You don't have to be a member of City Reach, but you do have to be a believer. This is for believers. So if, if you don't, if you're not a believer today, or if you're online, you're not a believer, you say, I want to accept Jesus, you just say, Father, I accept what Jesus did for me. I know that Jesus died. I know that I deserve to die because of my sin. Jesus died in my place, and I receive him as my Savior. That's all you got to do. You got to believe it in your heart. And so once you've been a, become a believer, communion is something we do not just to remember what Jesus did, but Paul says that we're proclaiming. Who are we proclaiming this to? I believe it's the powers of darkness. I believe it's the enemy. So obviously, we're telling ourselves, but I'm telling the devil that Jesus' body was broken. Now get out of here. Because His body was broken so mine can be whole. His blood was shed so my sin can be forgiven. I have no condemnation. You can't bring up what I used to do. I'm forgiven. So if you want to open the top, if you haven't already, we're going to take out the bread. As you, I always like to just kind of snap mine a little bit. There's nothing magical about snapping it, but for me it's a reminder that Jesus' body was broken. His was broken so mine could be complete. Mine could be whole. Mine could be healthy. If you're here today and you're sick, this is your time to put your faith in what Jesus did. This is your time to tell the enemy, no more Satan. I'm receiving all that God has for me. I'm receiving all that He has in that inheritance. And one of those things is healing. So we have the, the bread, which represents the body of Jesus for our healing. So Father, I thank You for the broken body of Jesus. God, I ask You to bless this now, right now. That this represents Your broken body. And as we take it into our body, Lord, we release our faith for complete and total healing. God, I pray for everybody that's part of our church, Lord, that's sick today. We just command that sickness to leave in Jesus' name. We declare wholeness and health and healing over every cell, every bone, every muscle, every fiber, even their brain, Lord. Joint issues. Back issues. Pain in the feet. Hold in Jesus' name. Amen. See. Open our juice. Jesus says, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. See, under the Old Covenant, it says there's no, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness. Under the Old Covenant, every year, they would go on the Day of Atonement, they would shed blood. And the children of Israel would be covered for another year, and another year, and another year. 1,500 years, they would do that. Then, then the Lamb of God came on the scene. He no longer covered up sin. It says He takes away the sin of the entire world. So don't let the enemy tell you you're condemned, you're guilty, you're going to pay for your sin. Jesus has already paid for it. And we receive what he did today. 
We let that guilt go. We let the shame go. We let the peace of God, the forgiveness of God, the wholeness of God, the cleansing of His blood wash over you today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed for us, that cleanses us from all sin, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Lord, that when we receive you, we are made righteous. We stand holy, we stand innocent, we stand guiltless, faultless, and perfect before you in your sight because we're in Jesus. We thank you for that. We receive everything that your blood has for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Just going to pray over you and then we're going to go. Father God, we're so grateful for Jesus. Thank you for your word. I thank you for just that you've recorded so many stories. Lord, I know, I know the Bible says that if, if everything was written down that Jesus did, the, the entire world could not contain the books with all the stories. But Lord, you've given us, you've given us a few brush strokes, given us a few paintings to look at. But Lord, I just pray for divine wisdom. I pray for renewed minds. I pray for revelation knowledge to flow, Lord. God, anytime there's a question, we'd go back to your word. We'd go back to you. What did Jesus do? How did he minister? What did he say? What did he do? Lord, anytime the enemy tempts us with something that you've already paid for, Lord, let us exercise our authority over him. Tell him that he has no business in our life. That in the name of Jesus, he's got to go. Lord, we just declare healing, wholeness, peace, 